0: You can also gain access to our found footage show, the Weird Tape series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. It was some kind of artist colony, ragged and filthy, out in the middle of nowhere. They had a little dump called the uh, Community House, a busted up two-story hostel where a little pocket change could nab you a cod in a dry corner for a night or two. Some extra coin got us the luxury suite. An entire room with a fully functioning door. It wasn't the mercury room, but uh, it had a decent view. Overlooking an ocean of switchgrass and squatting brambles, the strong wind pressing the vegetation nearly flat. Big fat shadows lurching over it all as a line of stocky clouds took turns blocking out the sun. Down in the lobby, Romy'd purchased a pencil and a small leather-bound notebook, both of them homemade and pretty shoddy. The first page of the journal was all but filled by the time she'd settled into the rickety chair in the corner, its old wood creaking in time with her manic scribbling. I hadn't so much as gotten my first word out when she, uh, shushed me. Shh.
1: Give me just one more second. I want to commit as much to paper as possible. There. How long do you think it'll be before the Esoterium finds us?
0: Tonight. Tomorrow, maybe. Shouldn't be too long. So, now that the, um... Car from Hell isn't an earshot anymore. Want to tell me your read on what went down back there?
1: When I got to Lister, he was already dead. Along with his Umbrian bodyguards, the eels from the dark, and the guards the Scream Eaters posted. The thing that did the killing appeared to me on the rooftops. It was some kind of gigantic armored guy. It wore a demonic metal mask and had a huge scythe on its back. I thought it was about to cleave me in half when the thing just, poof, vanished. When I brought it up to Gand, he seemed to know something about it. But all he'd say was that the thing was likely sent by some seedy faction in the esoterium, that it'd likely try to execute any and everyone who was privy to the results of the ritual. He thought the whole operation was a setup, so that whoever was pulling everyone's strings could have their cake and eat it too. Get the info from the ritual and incur zero blowback for the fact.
0: The ritual might have also outed this interested party, which is why they didn't want anyone walking away from the big reveal. Did you see anything like that? Someone or, I don't know, something that might have stood for one of the esoteries?
1: You know more about the esoterium than I do, but I did get a load of Isaiah, the fallen Mithra, the one whose mask grounded the serpent line in Marrow's, and who sugar recreated in chocolate miniature back at that candy store out of nowhere.
0: Jesus, why can't that sugar-frosted fu- ph- Why can't he just be straight with us for once? All these goddamn riddles. Uh, and the dim. Must have been something about that hidden somewhere amongst all those shadows. I mean, that was the whole point of us going there.
1: Maybe. There was a brief bit that looked like a black sun melting ice, chasing off the winter. I'm not 100%, but I think it was alluding to the Star of Dis. Winter, ice, is generally a symbol for death and rigidity, even banality. My guess is that the star is somehow related to the dim. I'm just not sure how it's all connected to this new breed of lunatic. (laughs) Wait a minute. Why the hell are we even talking about all this shit when you're hurt? Christ, sit down. Relax. How bad is it?
0: Not too bad. It only hurts when I breathe. <laughs> like I said, my power will keep me going until I'm back to 100%. Romy's eyes started to detach from the moment, concern pulling her inward, her worried mind forcing her to imagine the worst possible scenario. Look, I've been in worse scrapes, Romy. I, "'I believe you were there for the worst one. "'And trust me, this ain't nothing compared to that. "'I was being largely up front, but I was in a lot of pain. "'If I wasn't who or what I was, "'I had a feeling the pain would be too much "'for a normal person to handle. "'But I had my power on a slow burn, "'and it seemed to be knocking it out well enough. Romy nodded vacantly at me "'as an expression of fear came over her.' A new horror clutching at her thoughts. I knew immediately what it was. So, I'm going to assume you heard it too. What Sugar said.
1: Gloomhest.
0: Her eyes refused to focus as the name passed through her like a ghost. Is that the name of, um...
1: Our father? The monster that came to me in a nightmare? (sighs) That's certainly what it looks like.
0: And that means all those uh, creatures, they're, they're our brothers and sisters. Jesus. Just Jesus. Silence drifted across us like snow, cold and numbing. Since the moment I learned how I came into the world, despite the chilling logic I embraced as firmly as the grips of my revolvers, I'd held out a small hope that it was all wrong, that somehow I wasn't a monster. Even after Romy more or less confirmed it the first time we spoke about it, and again after she told me she might have even met our inhuman father, hope still lived in the smallest ignorance, that we had yet to uh, completely confirm anything. But I could feel the truth of Sugar's words the moment he spoke them. We're triplets, he said We're a family of goddamn monsters And a family of monsters needs to get its start somewhere A patriarch And his name, my father's name, was Gloomhest The sign out front says there's um, a cellar gallery around here somewhere My bet is that it's down behind those hills out back Want to take a look? There wasn't any use in talking about anything anymore. We were just screwed every which way but loose. There wasn't much left to do but take in the sights. Granted, we should have been taking it easy, resting after the night's festivities. But I was in no mood to keep still, and I could tell my sister felt the same. Romy snapped out of her stupor and shook off the frost, fully committed to my changing the subject.
1: I've heard about them. They're pretty common along the East Coast. I heard there was one near the sleep lab where I worked, by an area called Briggins Row. Never had the opportunity to check it out, though.
0: Well, now's your chance. On the bright side... It was a nice day, sunshine tumbling out behind big puffy white cloud banks, birds chirping, a breeze tinged with the scent of lilacs, the perfect contrast to the metaphoric dark cloud always floating above our heads. Once we crested the last hill, the artist colony came into view, forming small clusters of wooden huts spread out across the wide meadow. Trudging down through the high grass, we were met by a couple of locals. Two guys dressed in painter's smocks. They were both pretty pale and disheveled. Even looked a bit confused, like they'd just come out of hibernation. While I couldn't tell exactly what it was, they were clearly on something. Hi. Welcome to Vissa's colony. Could we show you around? There's plenty to see. On both sides of the eye.
1: Uh, yeah. We came to see the cellar gallery. The sign out front of the community house said you had one. Is it close?
0: Of course. Everything is close. It's located inside the Dutch house. Marcus Visser's residence. He's the founder of the colony. He passed a while back, but left this land to us. I can take you there, but it does require a donation. Not a problem. So, uh, what do you guys do here? What kind of art, I mean? Our mediums are many, but our subject is the same. Revelation.
1: Those, uh, buildings over there, the ones without windows? They're plunge houses, aren't they?
0: Plunge-house is an offensive term, a pejorative assigned by those who are content to forget their own glory, to condemn what they no longer understand. The structures you're referencing are places to look upon the self with unstained vision, to walk pathways leading back to the great darkness, when humanity was unlocked from its flesh. Its thoughts and dreams no longer imprisoned within brains and behind bones, when the inside filled the outside. This is why the universe has become so much a void, because our thoughts and dreams were forced back within us when we woke up from the truth.
1: Oh, my, my apologies. I didn't mean to offend.
0: We call them Revelation Houses, wherein the spheres might meet again, if only briefly. But even from so slight an intimation, we gather our lost wisdom. Wisdom that guides our hands. Hands that hold clay, brushes, flutes, chalk, pencils the liminal tools for rebuilding the godhood we once partook, once upon a great darkness. Now, let me show you what you came to see, and maybe y'all understand, if only somewhat. I gestured that we should hang back and let the weirdos get a good ways ahead of us, so I could get the skinny on what the hell just happened. All right, what was that all about? And what's a plunge house?
1: It's more of a European thing, but there's this plant with strong psychedelic properties. I don't know its scientific name, but while I was at Salence University, I heard it called things like Moloch's Clover, Night Clover, stuff like that. It apparently grows in some pretty out-of-the-way places. And people smoke and drink it to receive visions. Specifically, visions of the Great Darkness. More specifically, visions that don't cause you to wig out, becoming a stark raving white wig for prying into the great darkness. I guess it was quite the craze for a little bit. People gathering in plunge houses to recall the darkness, as in plunging into the darkness. The stuff was outlawed when its ingestion was determined to cause all kinds of mental abnormalities. Huh, I didn't even know the plant grew over here.
0: Passing through the colony to get to this Dutch house, I could see something of the art that was being produced. That is, if art was a word that applied to what I saw. There was a sort of big tent that was open in the front, and I could see all kinds of weird sculptures rising from the floor, most of them surrounded by their naked creators, some of whom were still busy plying their work with additional materials. Animal skins and twigs and other stuff I couldn't make out from my short lived glimpse. I was about to try and swing a little closer to another nearby tent to sneak a peek when I saw a figure stirring near the edge of the woodline the other side of the encampment. It was more of a hint of a figure, just a minute impression of something white and corpulent. Dead eyes staring from beneath dead, fruiting flesh. The wind picked up, and I heard a hiss of a voice melt beyond it.
1: You failed me. Failed to deliver her to me. But fret not, Isaiah. You will redeem yourself to me. Soon. was nearly dead on my feet, my body screaming for rest, even if it wasn't my preferred time of day. But I wasn't ready for the dreams. More dead faces staring at me from the black, whispering their tragedies in my ear. And most of all, I wasn't ready for her. I wasn't ready to be her. Besides, it was a beautiful day, And I needed it, needed the sun to convince me that there was still light in the world. Along the way, there were dozens of derelict buildings, all of them crumbling beneath the pull of the earth, corpses of wood and ruins sinking into the loam. I wondered if this was yet another vulgar demonstration of the bygone darkness, one of the ghost towns that never existed prior to the disaster, a ghost of a life that had never lived in the first place. My head felt like it was going to split from the weight of too many mysteries, those of the Magic Lantern Show in particular. I wasn't even sure I'd been privy to the whole thing, having walked in long after it had begun. But regardless, what I did see was burned black upon my memory, a blueprint for the next apocalypse. It was the Dutch house that finally pulled me completely out of my head, fading in from the rolling fields of switchgrass, the intermittent glaze of the sun. It reminded me of my little house on the hill, my temporary home back at Emmett's Threshold. Sporadic as the sunlight, my good memories were few and far between, but they were twice as treasured for the fact. To look at the Dutch house, no one would ever think it to host such weirdness. Yet this wasn't just the case here, but with the very legacy of the great darkness itself. Strangeness hidden under the ordinary, black wings folded beneath Christmas sweaters. It was a two-story farmhouse, weathered and worried, shedding paint and shingles. Its peaked gambrel rooftop was stripped to the rafters in places, its wooden bones breaking through rusted tin skin. A good third of the place was hidden by searching vines, scrub brush, and small trees. Most of the windows were broken out, too, just some tattered, billowing layers of clear plastic rippling in their stead. I imagined my mother looking down at me from the attic window, the dirty plastic between us making a smear of her face, but not her eyes. I saw them clearly.
0: You'll find the gallery right down the stairs at the end of the hall. We'll leave you alone to witness it, as the sides should be received in as much solitude as can be provided."
1: We both nodded while we made our way down the hall, the wood creaking beneath our feet, the wind whistling through the holes in the wall. Cellar galleries were one of many recurring artifacts of the Great Darkness generally tucked away inside small, ordinary houses. Sometimes a gallery would stretch between several dwellings. The basements dug out to create a labyrinth of intersecting showrooms, a labyrinth of art. Candles provided the only light, the shadows trembling across the floor like rivulets of tar. The earthen room was crowded with canvases mounted atop their easels. All of them turned away from us, almost in disregard. While it was faint, there was a suggestion of whispers, as if the paintings were talking to one another, about us. I didn't know why I thought that, as the hushed chatter was barely audible, let alone distinct, but I was positive that was the case. While Isaiah was quick to move around to the front of the paintings, I hesitated. I wanted to know if the whispers would persist once he rounded the collection of canvases. They did not. Once he was facing the paintings, the sounds stopped immediately, and my brother's eyes narrowed to slits as he examined the first painting in the row. Once I joined him, I could see what had focused his attention. Each painting was of a face pressed flat against the glass of a window the image taking up the entirety of its canvas. Each face was stretched with insane laughter, distorted even more so where its flesh flattened against the glass, and all the faces seemed to be looking directly at us, laughing at us. But what was most startling was the craftsmanship of the works, which as far as I could tell were all done in oils. Yet, the detail was impossible for paint, or any other medium for that matter. The effect was far more than mere photorealism, as there was a fluidity to the faces, their expressions, their madness, as if the painter had managed to capture motion as well as matter. The effect was most evident whenever I didn't look straight at the canvas, affording myself only a peripheral glimpse when a two-dimensional face seemed desperate to draw my gaze back, the shifting gleam of its moist eyes moving through the fluttering light. Naturally, this wasn't particularly startling to me. I strolled through nightmares like gardens. And while the gallery was a fairly novel horror, it wasn't exactly the revelatory experience it was billed as. At least not until I saw the canvas with the two laughing faces squeezed into its frame their resemblance to Isaiah and myself, uncanny. I knew what they were laughing at, the ridiculousness of our hope that we could get to the other side of all of this, live normal lives. Right after I thought I could actually hear their laughter, the room got cold, my breath coming out in a mist. It was Isaiah standing directly behind me, his power filling the room. In seconds, the painting seemed flat and lifeless, Their preternatural details remanded to the appropriate range of ordinary paints. My brother's eyes were almost completely gray, submerged in his power. Despite the cold he exuded, his expression was a mask of blazing hatred as he glared at the painting of us. He placed a gentle hand on my shoulder, his face relaxing.
0: Let's get out of here.
1: The two artists were gone when we came up from the basement, apparently leaving us completely to our revelations. I couldn't have been more eager to pull that door open, feel the sun on my face again. But no sooner had I placed my hand around the knob than came the laughter from below, our own laughter, from the cellar, seeping up through the cracked floorboards, (laughs)
0: They really think they can do this. Survive. (laughs) Live a normal life. How ridiculous. (laughs) Can you believe (laughs) them?
1: I know, right? What morons. (laughs) Don't they know they don't have a chance? (laughs) Not a chance in hell. They'll try and they'll fail over and over again (laughs) until they're dead, all curled up and rotting under the ground. (laughs) Isn't that right, everyone?
0: (laughs) The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. Where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Meltopia, head over to Meltopia.com.
1: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.